Chapter Thirty Eight of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. No Quarter by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter Thirty Eight insulting a fallen foe a very saturnalia of riot and rapine followed the capture of bristol for the conditions of surrender were broken before the ink recording them was dry and the soldiers fell to sacking unrestrained there were plenty of spiteful malignants to point out who should be the victims though little wrecked the royal hirelings what house they entered or whose goods appropriated all was fish to their net and so the plundering went on with scenes of outrage indescribable fiennes had left the testimony that rupert did his best to stay his ruffian followers cuffing and striking them with the flat of his sword light blows they must have been administered more in jest than earnest with aim to throw dust in the eyes of the now ex-governor and his staff standing by the men on whose shoulders they fell paid little heed to them for had they not been promised the sacking of bristol an intercepted letter from byron of massacred memory to rupert himself put this scandalous fact beyond the possibility of contradiction or denial that promise was kept faithfully enough and the license allowed in full every house of a parliamentarian noted or not received a domiciliary visit and was stripped of its valuables all that could not be hidden away while ladies of highest respectability were subjected to insult it was bristol's first experience of victorious cavalierism and even they who had conspired to introduce the sweet thing had their surfeit of it ere long by the terms of capitulation the soldiers of the vanquished garrison were to march out unmolested but they must go at once so as to vacate quarters for the incoming conquerors to civilians three days were allowed for decision as to staying or going with the implied right of removing their effects this last clause may seem a sorry jest since there was not much left them for removal of course all who knew themselves compromised and had the means decided on going among these it need scarce be said was the master of Hollymead under royal ban already he knew bristol would no longer be a safe place of residence either for himself or his daughters 
perhaps he feared more for them under the aegis of such an aunt in the companionship of such a cousin the cavalier wolves would now be ravening about free from all restraint admitted to montserrat house and there made more welcome than ever sad he had been at finding his sister so changed irksome the sojourn under her roof and now that opportunity offered to take departure he hastened to embrace it so eager was he to get away from the surrendered city that he would not avail himself of the three days grace but determined to set forth on the morning after the surrender luckily he had a few effects to embarrass him having less this plate and other penates of in gloucestershire whether he intended repairing it remained but to provide transport in the way of saddle-horses just then a scarce and costly commodity in bristol but cost what they might ambrose powell had the means of obtaining them and that night ere returning to rest he had everything ready his daughters had been warned and were prepared for the journey both of them eager as himself to set out upon it neither caring ever to set eyes on aunt lalande or cousin clarice again still another sunrise and the people of bristol were treated to a spectacle different from any that had preceded or they had ever witnessed they saw the late defenders of their city now disarmed and half disbanded marching away from it out through its gates and between files of their foes these last lining the causeway for some distance outside in such cases among the soldiers of civilized countries it is a rule almost universal that no demonstration be made by the conquerors to insult or further humble the conquered more often may be heard expressions of sympathy or even deeds of kindness done but all was different at this the first surrender of bristol as the defeated soldiers marched out many with eyes downcast and mane dejected no word nor look of pity was bestowed on them instead they were essayed with taunts and derisive cries some even getting kick or cuff as they ran the gauntlet between the lines of their truculent enemies and these were the gallants of england ready to strike home for their king as one of their songs put it but as ready to be spit upon by king or prince if it so pleased him gallants indeed as much desecration of the term 
applied to the cavalier of Charles' time as to the music-hall cad of our Victorian era. The chief exodus of the departing parliamentarians was by the gate and along the road leading to Gloucester. There was nothing in the articles of capitulation to hinder them again taking up arms. For reasons already stated, they were not prisoners, not bound by parole de honor, but free to turn round and face the foe now exulting over them whenever opportunity should offer. As a consequence, most took the route for Gloucester, where the staunch Massey still held his ground and would be glad to avail himself of their services. But not all making away were soldiers. In the stream of moving humanity were citizens, men and women, even whole families who had forsaken their homes, dreading ill-treatment at the hands of the royalist soldiery, fleeing from Bristol as lot from the doomed cities of the plain. Among these fugitives, many a spectacle of wretchedness was presented, at which the unfeeling brutes who were witnesses but laughed. Outside, and not far from the gate through which the motley procession was passing, Rupert sat in his saddle, the central figure of a group of splendidly uniformed officers. They were his personal staff with the elite of his army, gathered there to gloat over the humiliation of adversaries who had oft humiliated them. Gentlemen, as they deemed themselves, some could not resist gratifying their vengeful spleen, but gave exhibition of it in speech, coarse and ribald as any coming from the lips of their rank and file followers, in all of which they were encouraged by the approving laughter of their prince and his high-toned entourage. Never merrier than on that morn were these jovial gentry believing as they did that the fall of bristol was the prelude to their triumph over all england and henceforth they would have it their own way while at the height of their exultation a troop came filing along the causeway the sight of which brought a sudden change over the countenances of the jesters it was composed of men in cavalry uniform but afoot and without arms only some half-dozen the officers on horseback its standard too taken from it and perhaps well it had been flouted before the eyes of that cavalier crew alike regardless of oath and honour the banner showing crown impaled by sword would have been torn to shreds they bearing it set upon and cut to pieces but it needed no ensign nor other insignia 
to tell who the dismounted and dismantled troops were many around rupert had met fought with and fled from them while all had heard of sir richard walwyn's horse and his big sergeant these they were but in woefully diminished numbers worse than their sorry plight they had borne the brunt of battle on the southern side and although they had slain hundreds of the cornish men it was with a terrible thinning of their own ranks but their gallant leader was still at their head and by his side eustace trevor with his veteran trumpeter hubert while though marching afoot almost as conspicuous as the mounted ones there too was the colossal sergeant erst deer-stealer robert wild all proudly bearing themselves notwithstanding what had transpired no thought of having been conquered had they instead the consciousness of being conquerors and less angry at the men with whom they had been fighting than at him for whom they had fought nathaniel fines had either betrayed them and their cause or proved incapable of sustaining it it was on that account they looked scowling and sullen as they filed past rupert and his surrounding but if their black looks were given back by the royalist officers these forbore the taunting speech they had hitherto poured upon others something of shame if not self-respect restrained them they knew it would but recoil on themselves as with curs barking at lions as sir richard and his troop captain came opposite two officers alongside rupert exchanged looks with them of peculiar significance colonel tom lunsford and captain reginald trevor these were both released from their imprisonment the latter but the day before they were now not only free but in full feather and favor appointed to the prince's staff the interchange of glances between the quartet was each to each the ex-lieutenant of the tower alone regarding the soldier knight and with a sneer of malicious triumph he would have added words but dreaded getting words back that might rake up old scores as when they last met at hollymead exposing his poltoonery so he contented himself with a sardonic grin to get in return for it a look of contempt too scornful and lordly to care for expression in speech the play of eyes between the cousins was alike full of meaning and equally unintelligible to lookers-on who knew not the antecedents but they passed words as well only a remark with rejoinder 
the former even unfinished reginald still smarting from the incidents of that night at montserrat house could not restrain his tongue and as the other came close he said with his old affectation of superiority if i'd only had the chance to meet you on the ramparts yesterday morning i would you would be there now without me was the interrupting retort down among the cornish dead men that's what you intended telling me isn't it thus again getting the better in the encounter of words with a light laugh eustace rode on leaving his cousin angrier than ever more than ever desirous of crossing swords with him to the cry of no quarter End of chapter thirty eight